Welcome to Strategies for Turbulent Times with your hosts, Matthew Werner and Dr. Kathy Greenberg, here to help you stare down adversity, adapt, improvise, and overcome the challenges you are facing in your own life. Now, here are Dr. Kathy and Captain Matthew. Welcome, welcome everybody to Strategies for Turbulent Times. We are in a brand new year. With a brand new view, we are actually in a home. We are not coming to you today from the yacht. This is a new beginning for Matthew and I, and we are so excited to share it with you. We uh, have some great feedback from last week's show with Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. I want to thank you all for being there, giving us a shout out, passing along the good word. And I hope you are all well and happy and prospering in this new year and your dreams all come true. Matt, how are you doing this Friday? Well, happy Friday, everybody, and most importantly, happy new year. Hope, hopefully everybody's doing well and, uh, you know, I got the Christmas and holiday hangover going on, like uh, I know Kat and I do a little bit. Like she said, we just got back down to sunny South Florida, and uh, we are ecstatic to be back down here and focused on what we're going to be doing for 2024. We have so many great guests coming up for you, and we are so excited that we are gaining traction. Uh, as many of you know, uh, we came on the air uh, in the May-June time frame of 2023, and we are up to over 16,000 on-demand listeners. Thank you so much for being with us. We want to continue to serve you and the things that you're interested in. I just want to give a quick shout out to our tax ops sponsor uh, and make sure you all get yourself registered for the upcoming program starting in April. We're going to be there uh, doing our seminars and workshops, and uh, we're going to be doing some really exciting things uh, throughout the year. And I also want to give a shout out to MagnusWorks.com your resilience and well-being platform, and the National Command and Staff College. Well, let me get into some goodness here with our guest today. And John McGinnis is a, uh, he's truly one of those voices that many of you have experienced with and have been listening to. And we're going to kind of meet a different side of John today as we talk about his career. John spent more than 31 years with the Sheriff's Department and has served in every service area of that department. He is a highly decorated veteran with a background in many high-profile assignments. Uh, McGinnis served for many years as a member of the elite Sheriff's Motorcycle Detail, where he was a training officer and team leader. He also served as the CSI investigator, homicide and detective and department spokesman, and McGinnis was promoted through the ranks and ultimately commanded the Centralized Investigation Division until he was appointed under sheriff in March 2001. I could go on and on and on here, but I, I really want to bring John onto the show and uh, want to, you know, kind of give him a hello. And before we do that, I just want to say a couple more things. The first is that... Uh, John is now a professor of criminal justice, communications leadership, and professional studies at the California State University, 
and he hosts his own show on Sacramento's top-rated news radio, KFBK, on AM 1530 and FM 93.1. John, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that uh, welcome, and I hope you're well and enjoying the the sunshine in South Florida. It's a little chilly here on the northwest coast, but uh, but all things are good for the new year, and I hope you're doing well. Oh, thank you. I, I As you can hear in my voice, and I'm probably talking to the listeners here because they know my voice better than anyone, uh, I am struggling uh, once again with a little bit of an upper respiratory issue, but I think everybody is this time of year got some kind of a little tickler going on. Yeah. I'm glad you're here, though. Matt, well, you want to get a Hopefully start? that passes quickly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, hey, John, so uh, I tell you, what a, what a um, great career you've had and what you're continuing to do for, you know, the, the local public. Um, but just give a little bit more to the audience, you know, taking back, you know, a couple moons ago, you know, who influenced you the most to get into law enforcement and then also uh, throughout your career? Well, ironically, my my intention as a young child was to pursue a career in medicine or veterinary medicine. That was kind of my desire. My there was no secret. My parents knew it. They were supportive of it. And then a couple of things happened um, that uh, that caused me to rethink things. And I had contact with with some local law enforcement officers that I found to be incredibly impressive people. And then on one occasion in particular, uh, my father, who was uh, kind of my hero, uh, was t- tended to uh, to drive a little bit too fast, and he got stopped by a couple of uh, officers from the department that I would ultimately join and, and be a part of for a long, long time. Uh, and the manner in which they treated him and the way they projected themselves, the professionalism, the 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 decency, the actually goodwill uh, that they shared in that contact. I thought these these guys uh, represent something I, I I really find impressive. So that was kind of the the, the big. Uh, the big turning point when I said, now this is the, there's something else I want to do. And it really served my purpose as well because realistically my competence in science is probably not uh, sufficient to, to carry me into uh, a career in medicine. So it, it just worked out and it wound up being something I, I thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, every contact I had with uh, with local law enforcement at the time was uh, was very positive even if i was uh, perhaps in need of a uh, of a stern lecture on the side of the road or in other contacts uh, the, the again that that professionalism and goodwill that that shone through that i think is still very much uh, a part of the the fabric of law enforcement that oftentimes uh, gets diluted or, or, or frankly misrepresented by by many in society who have a benefit to come from that. So that uh, to make a long story uh, somewhat um, uh, more abbreviated, that was it. The, the experience with law enforcement officers that impressed me caused me to think this is what I want to do for a living. Well, that is a very inspiring story, and I think it's it's also uh, rather unique. You know, um, when we look at how other uh, people get into law enforcement, you know, there are always different perspectives. But now, now that you've had a career and you're doing many wonderful things, you know, you were appointed to the post commission by Governor uh, Schwarzenegger in 2007, and uh, you're looks like you're living a great life up there in California with your wife Peggy, and uh, I'm sure uh, your uh, your kids are probably wondering what you're doing these days uh, because you tell them that you're working, but of course we know 
<laughs> when, <laughs> when we're doing this kind of work, it's more fun than work. Exactly. So tell us a little about, um, you know, what were you thinking law enforcement would be like, and and what do you most think about now as you look back on your career and your training other people and instructing other people as they're just ramping up? Well, it's uh, first of all, it's become a more difficult and challenging profession. There's, there's not a doubt in my mind about that. I don't think there's any, any question. Uh, but the, the, what I look back on very fondly and value the most is the extraordinary people with whom I had the privilege of working. I know that sounds, uh, that sounds cliche, but it's really true. The, the, I worked with people who um, day in and day out were normal people that were raising their families and doing the best they could. Uh, and when the big red handle got pulled, they showed enormous valor and selflessness. And I oftentimes lament the fact that the general public doesn't really have a, a good idea as to to what their law enforcement officers are really all about. And, and I'd like to see that story told uh, a bit better. Uh, if you look at the, um, the the level of education on the part of, uh, of modern contemporary law enforcement officers, it, it's rather impressive. I think the public would be surprised to know that. The amount of selflessness that exists and is, uh, is, is really measurable and demonstrable in the ranks of law enforcement is impressive, but there's a there's a new uh, a new generation a new time. As I indicated earlier, there are people whose purposes in life seem to be better served uh, by casting aspersions on law enforcement, and uh, it's very diff it's very simple, frankly, to take a a kind of a nugget out of context and exploit that and make it look like uh, something horrible when in reality it's not representative of the whole. So I, I encourage uh, people getting into law enforcement today, people who have an interest. I'm, I'm heartened by the fact that there are still people who are called to the law enforcement profession. Nowhere near the numbers we once had, uh, but still a significant number, and they're looking to do the right thing. And I tell them, uh, be prepared. I mean, everything you're doing right now, as you contemplate your future, everything you're doing today be prepared for for your life to be slid under a microscope and thoroughly examined with an abundance of criticism. So think before you post things on social media. Think before you engage in certain kind of conduct that could put you in a very, very bad way and, frankly, uh, end your career before it starts. And then as you get into actually working in the profession, recognize the fact that you're playing on a live stage. People are going to see what you do. And we, we've we became aware of this, frankly, decades back, but it's now so much uh, an undeniable part of, uh, of society today where contacts with law enforcement are, are very likely to be uh, video and audio recorded and shared, disseminated with everyone. So a, a one-week moment in an otherwise um, pristine uh, handling of an incident uh, or, or practice of a complex profession can really skew the image and put people in a bad way. So the, the, the need to be mindful of all of that, I think, is, uh, is absolutely critical. And uh, so th that, that core character exists in my mind uh, beyond a doubt, uh, but the need to recognize the sensitivity and the potential for things to be spun in a different direction is absolutely critical. Well, you know, you've said some things there that I just want to echo and uh, and remind our audience who's living this pain themselves is when we don't have smart, young, educated professionals coming into law enforcement at the rate we need them, it puts such a burden 
on the rest of those who are currently serving in the line of duty. And while we are all out there doing the work that's needed to bring in the right people with values in action in a public safety uh, agency, it's unfortunate that what they're most concerned about is that psychological safety. You know, how, how do I trust myself well enough when I don't know myself well enough under these burdensome and emergency circumstances when I might be provoked to control myself under that kind of fire. And so when we start thinking about how we can help support new hires and get the right people, one of the things that Matthew and I train on, John, is the use of emotional intelligence assessments as opposed to just a poly, a panel, and a psych evaluation. And for those of you who are listening, you hear me talk about this often. You know, we have emotional fitness factors that make us good at certain careers, whether you're an emergency room physician, a firefighter, a law enforcement professional, or a school teacher. We have fitness aspects that make us better or more suited to certain roles than others. I'd love your comment on that. Yeah, I think it's absolutely essential to recognize an element of reality in that regard and and recognize the fact that when it comes to law enforcement in particular, every facet of life in society is actually uh, affected by the extent to which uh, law enforcement is adequately staffed, trained, and funded to do their job. I, I, would, I would challenge you to, to actually come up with any part of society. Uh, you mentioned medicine, uh, you know, commerce, the ability for people to come together and provide uh, goods and services to folks who want to avail themselves of those goods and services, engage in commerce, which uh, supports quality of life. But that can be uh, really truly be uh, challenged effectively very easily as people have a, the prevailing belief com- becomes uh, that, that, that uh, it's not a safe environment, that the quality of life is diminished. So recognize the need for all of that. And, and by the very nature of law enforcement, there is a, a confrontational component. And so just because somebody is stopped by the police, just because uh, enforcement action is taken, be it a, an arrest or a citation, uh, there, there's a greater benefit to society. And oftentimes the uh, the, the suspect or the offender in that case as well, if the matter is, is properly handled and the system is allowed to work. As you, as you look at the deterioration, of course, here in California, we have a, a, a lot of problems with, with the law itself, fundamental changes in the law that don't allow for uh, sufficient adverse consequences for repeat offenders. And so it's clear to see that society... Uh, suffers from that because you have uh, rampant crime and, and violence. But uh, the, the other folks that are perhaps not considered are the offenders themselves. If you think about somebody who early on in their life uh, experiences what uh, generally would be perceived as an adverse interaction with a law enforcement officer, but it gives them the impetus to change their behavior and live a better life, there's a benefit there. That's how the system's supposed to work. This, the criminal justice system actually serves the needs of the offenders as well. And then, of course, uh, critical to your point, uh, the law enforcement officers, the purveyor of that very critical public service, uh, become very frustrated 
and demoralized if uh, if the system is not allowed to work. So I really think it's it's a whole approach, uh, whole with a W, uh, that that every all the component parts have to be in place. And I think there needs to be, uh, and I encourage my former colleagues, especially people in leadership positions, uh, to to speak out and and uh, and tell the story of law enforcement and correct some of the misperceptions that seem to be running rampant, oftentimes, again, uh, exacerbated by people who, who see a benefit to their own purposes uh, by skewing uh, the story, and, and it's a significant departure from reality. Yeah, I tell you, John, I mean, so much to, uh, to, to think about with, uh, you know, your wisdom that you're sharing there. And, you know, just the beginning with when you're talking about, you know, teaching these new law enforcement professionals, as far as, you know, everything they do is looked at by a microscope, you know, it's perception. You know, uh, one thing that uh, came early to mind was that, you know, law enforcement professionals are like pilots anymore. You know, you have one hiccup with an aircraft and you got 300 people that are, uh, you know, judging you, um, you know, claiming that they're anxious, becoming victims. Um, You know, the responsibility is just that high. And unfortunately, um, well, fortunately, it's not an aircraft, you know, gravity's a an SOB, um, right. and that's what gets a little anxious. But like you're saying, there's uh, unfortunately a lot of people, there's some people out there that want to be self-serving and depicting the actions of others. And, yeah. um, right? Absolutely true. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, you know, a, a great quote that uh, one of our previous guests, um, you know, shared with us, I want the audience to, uh, you know, think this through here. And there's a quote by Eleanor Roosevelt, the great minds discuss ideas, average minds discuss events, and small minds discuss people. So think about that as we go to a break. Thank you for being on Strategies for Turbulent Times, and uh, we're looking forward to coming back with our guest, uh, special guest here, John McGinnis. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Results will always favor the peak performer. MagnusWorks is a cutting-edge mobile app to help you and your team build peak performance across 11 critical well-being domains to go from great to Magnus. MagnusWorks balances individuals with real-time tailor-made check-ins with Pulse Vibes to increase mental, physical, and emotional well-being. It spans every aspect of your daily life. Get started now. Inspire, educate, impact, and transcend. MagnusWorks.com. That's Magnus, W-O-R-X.com. How can you be brilliant in the moment, given the daily challenges you face at work and home? How can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. 
The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common-sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Have a question for Dr. Cat or Captain Matt? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. We've been having a delightful discussion during the break that I want to bring back to the airwaves here. And, uh, John, we were talking about how many law enforcement professionals today uh, are, are somewhat reluctant but reluctant to tell their story. And um, we've been obviously very blessed uh, since May, June to have many professionals in law enforcement, both active and retired, talk about their careers. Uh, I, I want to touch on that, because you were saying some very interesting things I'd like the audience to hear as well. Yeah, a couple of things. First of all, when you're a leader in a law enforcement agency, and this is always my attitude, and I hope people will continue to to perform in this fashion today. If you think about the basics, you recruit and train and equip law enforcement officers to go out and do a very critical a challenging job, and when they do so, and when they go use the uh, the fruits of their training and the equipment that they've been issued, some of which is deadly equipment, uh, they do it with it, with the best intentions and in the best of their ability to analyze the prevailing circumstances and, and make a, a, a quick call. Um, there's an obligation on the part of leadership of the organization to tell that story, not not to whitewash it, not to uh, not to bury any criticisms. In fact, I think it's it's very healthy to look at how a, a critical incident was handled with uh, with a, with an eye on how we can do better in the future. And part of that is you have to be candid, right? You have to ask those hard questions and be and be truthful. But at the same time, an explanation as to how things go, what the uh, what the industry standard is, if you will, uh, what were the prevailing circumstances that confronted the officers involved, uh, that has to be told or the the narrative gets twisted and takes on a completely different uh, aura. And that can be detrimental to, to all of the players in this. And again, I think it's really important to recognize that it's not just the, the law enforcement professionals, it's not just the employing entity. But uh, just just think about the the ability for people to enjoy uh, maximum quality of life for a robust uh, in com- uh, commerce environment, uh, for safety and security, all of those things that are so critical and affect everything we do, y- you need optimum there, and that should always be pursued. And uh, I appreciated uh, what Matt was referencing in regard to the uh, the, the airline pilot. Uh, their mistakes are not uh, they're not in secrecy. They're, everybody knows what they. With, when they make an error, and uh, it will be analyzed and uh, and criticized by by the masses. The same thing is very true for law enforcement. But if you look at people 
in their daily lives, the number of errors that uh, that we all make. Uh, I, I couldn't begin to tell you how many errors and mistakes I've made today, uh, but I'm not doing critical work. So it's it's uh, I, I can laugh at myself thereafter, uh, and it's all good. Uh, but the same human beings that are uh, that are error prone uh, find themselves involved in critical work, and uh, notwithstanding the, uh, the the training, the discipline, the uh, the the analysis in advance of a complex situation, the potential exists for good faith mistakes to be made, and that requires an abundance of candor. And, uh, and again, a sharing of context in terms of how that information is publicly disseminated. Absolutely. And, you know, just talking about the, uh, you know, as being humans, we're, we're all susceptible to that failure or the error. Um, but when you're underneath the microscope and underneath the, the limelight, just think about, you know, if you were on stage in front of, you know, a hundred thousands of people um, and you make one mistake, that just the pressure you put on yourself as being a professional on that stage. Now, some of the key things that, um, you know, I love that you're bringing out here, you know, one, why did you get into the profession? And that was because the positivity and the respect that you had experienced with the law enforcement officers when you were uh, growing up. And I think that's all too critical to continue down the right road of, um, like you're saying, for safety and security of a, society and as well as a, a, you know, a community is to keep that positivity, you know, keep uh, respect is the number one thing when you go into a, a critical environment. Um, but also to know that you have the same alignment of goals and beliefs as your leadership, um, right. you know, for these up and coming law enforcement professionals or up and coming, you know, leaders of any uh, professional uh, occupation it's the alignment of goals and beliefs. Um, and then also just to elevate your mindset, um, to look at a higher power, but also to be, continue to grow in, in education. Because uh, as we're talking about here, you know, with the microscope and what some people are serving themselves as depicting the occupation to be so negative and abusive, you know, that negativity and judgmental, you know, fear is, uh, is what we, I think we're all concerned about. So I love the, 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 pieces of positivity that you're, you know, sharing with the audience here and us. And, uh, we, I can't, uh, can't express how, uh, happy I am and think that, uh, you know, we need more people like you, John, out there in the world. I appreciate so, that. This is, this is, is, is such a critical mission to quality of life, uh, and, and actually the exercise of liberties for, for all of us to have, uh, functioning, uh, effective law enforcement, and, and frankly, every dimension uh, throughout the, the criminal justice effort, prosecutorial, parole, probation, all of that as, as an entire package that works and works effectively. And you can see the, uh, the communities where it's broken down across the country, and uh, who benefits from that? Certainly not uh, uh, legitimate members of society. They all suffer accordingly. So uh, sometimes it's, uh, it's uh, I think, a very beneficial exercise to take a pause and for uh, again, and when I say, I'll, I'll use the term leadership, but but clearly it's an expectation and a responsibility of sanctioned leadership. That is to say, people of rank, people, the department heads, and and people who uh, have that, that that's their their 
their their requirement per se, but there are those people, as you know very well from your background, people who just embody leadership traits naturally, and they can exercise uh, that function as well and help uh, help tell the uh, the story in a truthful and uh, an effective manner. You know, John, we um, generally at this point in the program kind of pivot back to uh, to something about you that you can share, especially based on the conversation we just had, uh, which can sometimes be a little risky, but there's always a lesson uh, in the line of duty. And there are defining moments that make us who we are and take us in a direction on life's journey. So as you look at your career, can you share some defining moments uh, when you were kind of learning some hard lessons that made you a better version of you? Yeah, I, I think so. There, and there were a number of them, frankly, in, in a long career. There were a lot of things that took place. And, and obviously, law enforcement officers go to work every day or night. And, and they're going out to, to uh, approach and confront uh, situations that are very difficult to predict. But I had the occasion of, of actually working for a sergeant, a supervisor, when I was a young officer, uh, that was, I thought, to be just the most squared away guy around. He had promoted out of SWAT, uh, so he had tactical background, was uh, just in his own personal capacity. He uh, w- was very bright. Uh, he, he actually uh, had a kind of a business mind as well, so he was thriving in his personal life. He was uh, universally respected. Uh, and at, I worked for him on one assignment, and then shortly thereafter, he went back to SWAT as a supervisor. And uh, on the occasion of January 21st, 1987, uh, this guy who seemed to have his ducks in a row and be so incredibly squared away uh, met up with a, a person who was bent on, on killing people and was wanted for murder. And uh, notwithstanding his tactical knowledge and expertise, this guy who seemed to be uh, somebody to emulate because he – and he was, by the way. There's, I, don't, I want to make that clear. He's an extraordinary gen- gentleman. Uh, but even he ultimately um, he went, he was the victim of a, of a murderer's bullet, and he, he died on that occasion and uh, actually loaded him into the, uh, the helicopter to be transported to the trauma center, and uh, he would not survive. Uh, but it just underscored the fact that <clears throat> notwithstanding all of your efforts to, to be the best version of yourself – in terms of competency, uh, there is an inherent danger there. So it's a part of accepting that and recognizing the need uh, for everybody to be on the same sheet of music in that regard, that, that, that try hard, work towards tactical excellence, do the best you can do, uh, but know that ultimately uh, fate is, is going to have its, its way. And uh, not that you shouldn't commit to, to, uh, to preventing that from happening. And, of course, uh, uh, throughout uh, most of our careers, uh, it's either a matter of luck or in some, some cases probably true competency and preparation. I don't know if I can claim that. But you look back on situations that could have been deadly, and they were not. Uh, well, on that occasion, that was, uh, that was a, uh, <clears throat> an experience that cut through the quick of the organization because this was a guy who seemed to be uh, so well um, – prepared and disciplined to uh, to be able to survive anything it just didn't work that way uh and then several years later on uh, april 4th 1991 uh we had in sacramento county the uh, the unique experience of the 
largest hostage situation in the in the country, and still stands today. It was at an appliance store in South Sacramento um, called The Good Guys, and uh, four young uh, men from Vietnam, they're boys actually, teenagers from Vietnam, came in and took that place over uh, very well armed. Uh, and they were demanding money and, ironically, helicopters to take them back to Vietnam, which was, would never have happened anyway. Obviously, it's not even a, a possible practical outcome. Uh, but they held uh, 41 people hostage throughout the course of a day. Uh, ultimately, three innocent victims were killed in that exchange, and three hostages were uh, three. I'm sorry, three suspects were uh, were killed. Uh, but it was. And by the way, this was the first time in my career that a major event was captured live and broadcast around the world. The uh, the parking lot of that electronics store uh, looked like the Super Bowl in terms of uh, broadcast uh, satellite trucks, live trucks. Uh, everybody was covering it. And uh, so it, uh, it, it, I actually had, had an opportunity in that occasion to see extraordinary leadership on the part of uh, the relatively new elected sheriff of the county, uh, a man by the name of Glenn Craig, who had come from a, a different law enforcement uh, background. He was the commissioner of the highway patrol before that. So he's relatively new to this kind of work. And uh, But, man, his leadership uh, was something to envy and admire. And he really established himself as somebody who not only uh, was thoughtful and uh, and uh, very, very concerned about the well-being of his troops and behaved in that manner. And there was an opportunity to see that in terms of how he handled it. But then he communicated with the general public as to what took place there and what the course of action was. And uh, this was this was I had never seen uh, an occasion where the elected sheriff himself showed up at a scene. It was a big, big deal. And uh, he could not have performed better. So that kind of established a, uh, uh, I think, a, an extraordinary role model for many of us uh, to try to emulate and follow over the years to follow. Uh, you know, yeah, such, I'm blown away. Yeah, such an interesting story there, John. Um, and the, the key pieces that I take from that, <clears throat> I'd like for the audience, especially for the current law enforcement professionals that are listening in, um, you know, or any, you know, senior leader, the toughest thing is, and I think that this this one of the biggest things is that, you know, to stay calm, cool, and collective, but the key points that, that I heard there was with the newly elected sheriff, he stayed respectful and he stayed positive, you know, and that helps with a quality that allows for better outcomes. Uh, without a doubt, and just a, a little more color on this, there there was a division commander on the scene, another extraordinarily competent guy. This was he was a a military officer as well, and a lawyer, and a and a pilot. I mean, this guy had uh, tagged every base. Mike Smith was his name. Unfortunately, we lost both of those gentlemen in recent years. Uh, but but and Mike Smith, Captain Smith at the time, was uh, the on scene commander. And when the sheriff arrived on the scene. Uh, Captain Smith looked at him and said, are you taking over here? And he says, no, I'm here to take the heat. You're competent. You're, you're the best person for the job. Stay the course. And uh, it was extraordinary leadership. Again, he, he said that verbatim, I'm, I'm here to take the heat. You do what you do best. You know, and I love that, that you shared that. And when, I, when I speak to audiences, and I have an acronym that I speak about, which, which is called FEARLESS, and the A in fearless is alignment, goals, and beliefs, and that's one of the things I do hit on 
is from perception of, you know, whether it's society or even when you're within the ranks or, as we say, within the wire, the perception is that the boss is always going to make those hard right calls. But the reality, being on some of these, you know, national level missions, it's the number twos, number threes, number fours that are making the hard right call. And, you know, the boss, the re- you know, the, the senior leader reality is, is that they're, you know, taking the heat. They're the ones answering the mail to those that are appointed above them, i.e. Right. the president, in my case, and, uh, you know, the, the special operations uh, community's uh, leadership. So, yeah, it's, it's just critical to understand, to be truly fearless, to have that alignment of goals and beliefs amongst your, your trusted uh, coworkers, um, you know, that uh, that we grow through the ranks with absolutely critical. Yeah, and the, that uh, that kind of selflessness, and I'm sure in that moment he's thinking to himself, "Hey, this could be a disaster for me." But that did not uh, that did not come through at all. He was at, he wanted to make sure the troops on the scene because it was a protracted uh, incident. It started about one o'clock in the afternoon and went till after eleven o'clock at night. And uh, so he wanted to make sure people were getting away from their their positions for a while and uh, actually had people on the roof of the building. I was on the roof of the building for a period of time, and he wanted to make sure people were fed and cared for. All those things that are, that, that you know very well are, are absolutely critical. Um, and he was not uh, not expressing any concern for his uh, for himself, uh, but rather for the people that worked for him. And... Um, Especially, I think, because, you know, the the Sheriff's Department is a pretty large organization, and people, you know, you have academy classes that come through together, and they they go out through their careers together, and it's a a pretty tight-knit group, notwithstanding the the fact that it's decentralized and large. But here's a guy who did not – he did not – go to our academy. He did not come through the ranks. He came from another uh, organization. So to see him – uh, distinguish himself in that regard. It was it was uh, it was more than a little impressive, and it uh, it made an impression on a lot of us who had the privilege to to actually witness that. Well, we're having a, a great conversation with you, and we feel privileged to have you here, John. We're going to take a quick break, thank our sponsors, and then we're going to come back to a time when you planned every detail for an operation, but for whatever reason, it derailed and could have cost a life. So don't go away. Come right back, everybody. You're listening to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Results will always favor the peak performer. MagnusWorks is a cutting-edge mobile app to help you and your team build peak performance across 11 critical well-being domains to go from great to Magnus. MagnusWorks balances individuals with real-time tailor-made check-ins with pulse vibes to increase mental, physical, and emotional well-being. It spans every aspect of your daily life. Get started now. Inspire. Educate impact and transcend magnusworks.com that's magnus w-o-r-x.com how can you be brilliant in the moment given the daily challenges you face at work and home how can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses 
Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. Have a question for Dr. Cat or Captain Matt? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Strategies for Turbulent Times. We are having a very invigorating conversation with John McGinnis, who started off his career in law enforcement, has ended uh, that career and has moved into a compelling future of supporting criminal justice uh, as a faculty and a professor and has a top-rated radio show in Sacramento, California. John, when we went to break, um, we keep having these amazing conversations during the breaks. We talked about perhaps discussing a time you planned for every detail on an op, and for whatever reason, it derailed. But you also came uh, with some came up with some very interesting and compelling comments during the break. I want to go back to before we get into that op. Uh, given that we are in the last segment of the show, we're probably limited here to about fifteen minutes. But uh, love you to share both. Yeah, uh, as it relates to the uh, the well planned uh, operational uh, approach, the, the good news is, uh, in terms of anything being catastrophic, when when uh, when the dynamic nature of certain events uh, presented itself, uh, nothing with horrific consequences. There were a number of uh, events that were planned by way of protests and demonstrations that uh, we thought we had a pretty good grip on who was going to do what, and uh, things were going to be okay. But in reality. When uh, when things kicked off, uh, it went bad very very quickly, and so we had to bring in additional resources, uh, and and were able to successfully. I'm thinking of a couple of events in particular, one that was a, a rock concert that was supposed to take place at a given location, and the permit was denied in the 11th hour. So there was a whole bunch of people coming from different parts of the state and beyond uh, to participate in this uh, rock concert, and they decided to turn it into a uh, a protest of sorts, and frankly. We were overwhelmed by the numbers. We had a, we did have an operational plan, and it uh, it seemed to uh, to contemplate everything that would present itself. Uh, but when push came to came to shove, it was 
it was more than we anticipated. The crowd was much, much larger. So uh, we did uh, pull that big red handle and had uh, resources from every division in the department as well as allied agencies come and were able to uh, put it to rest fairly quickly. No, uh, no, seri- no significant injuries, no loss of life. So thank God for that. Uh, other occasions, as you as you look back, uh, another protest. Uh, it was actually Easter Sunday, and a, a group of people with a, an axe to grind went in and disrupted church services at several different churches in an area. And uh, again, we had no idea the uh, the size that that group would be. Uh, people imported from various parts of of the state, and and very likely beyond. Uh, so it was a bit of a surprise. Easter Sunday morning is a, you know, generally a pretty quiet time, and uh, staffing's uh, not optimum. But uh, we were able to amass the resources necessary to, to get things cleared up. Um, in terms of those things that uh, that could have been really truly catastrophic, uh, with with horrific outcomes. Um, you know, thank God for for good luck because they worked out well, and uh, and we we just make the observation. It's amazing uh, the extent to which we prevail uh, in spite of our, our own personal imperfections, our own shortcomings. Uh, when 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 it really matters, uh, people come together and and show their best behavior, and it's uh, it's it's uh, it, it's something to be grateful for. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the humility part of being an an exceptional leader is critical as well. And that's, you know, when we talk about attributes on leadership and things that, uh, especially coming from my neck of the woods, being a tier one operator, people ask, like, you know, what's the top, what are some of the top attributes of a professional at that level? And I said, you know, it was quick uh, to understand once I got selected, invited, selected, and then now I'm all of a sudden inside the wire. The best leaders had that sense of humility that they're all about. You know, hey, I'm perfect. I'm here to teach. I'm here to help. I'm here to execute at the highest levels with, you know, with, you know, precision. It's next to none. But the criticality to when you have so many different um, for so many different forces and entities, units, agencies coming together, that's where those leaders actually bump up because they bring everybody together and that way it allows for the best outcome. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely true. So, John, getting um, also to the comment that you were making at the break about education uh, and the current uh, mindset of law enforcement to help them avoid some of these derailers and think about their leadership style and get them back to what we call a left to bang, um, allowing them resilience. Maybe you can comment a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, there was an occasion, and I sorry I couldn't tell you exactly how long ago it was. Uh, it was when I was the the sheriff, uh, maybe maybe even before that. But uh, our academy had an academy class that uh, somehow somebody picked up the fact that in that academy class of around seventy people, uh, there were eleven uh, of the recruits that actually had a master's degree, and that became uh, and I think it was a good thing. It became a public interest story, and uh, I think many people in the general public were surprised to 
to learn that uh, some of these people who are perceived as being, I'll use Matt's term, uh, knuckle draggers, uh, <laughs> were, were actually uh, quite well educated. And, and I don't believe for a moment, frankly, that that formal education uh, makes a, a person any better. I, I think a person with a bare minimum educational requirements and, and a good heart and a good mind and a good forward thought process uh, can function extremely well. But it is a kind of a demonstration or a uh, an indicator of somebody who has engaged in discipline necessary to, to to advance themselves, literally. And among the, the beneficial components of that formal education, and I'm not inclined to, uh, to emphasize uh, uh, formal education over goodwill and good, uh, and good judgment, uh, but it can prepare people, I think, in many cases to uh, comport themselves in a way that serves their purposes better and, and frankly, uh, can help them avoid the pitfalls of, uh, of unnecessary uh, liability risks. So the the, the reality is I, I want the general public to know that those people you see operating patrol cars and doing their jobs uh, are very likely uh, sophisticated to a higher degree than you may expect. And, and some of the stories of selflessness um, that I had occasion to witness uh, in, in real time actually had, had uh, two officers working together, two women uh, working together, and they had a complaint from a citizen because they had actually in, they were shopping on duty and frankly they were and so they came up through the chain of command and there was recommended discipline for their shopping in uniform on duty and in one of them fortunately said hey look I'm, I'm taking my lumps because we did it but I, I do want to tell a little bit of the story they had responded to a burglary call where uh, an, an older woman uh, lived alone and she just she, her life was her television set uh, that was what she relied upon to pass time. Her daughter, had, her adult daughter, had taken her to a medical appointment. And when they got back to her uh, apartment, uh, she realized that, that her apartment had been burglarized and her television was stolen. So these two officers uh, took that report and they felt so bad for her, they went to a local appliance store in duty, on duty, in uniform, in a patrol car, and bought a television for her. So that behavior is not the evil that the prohibition against shopping on duty is intended to prevent. So needless to say, that discipline, the consequences of that action completely went away. But I thought the story was great, and I wanted to have a chance to tell it to the world, and it just didn't lend itself to that opportunity. But again, think about that. That's, that's not what the general public necessarily is led to believe uh, about the character of law enforcement officers. That is such a compelling story, and, you know, Matthew and I are sitting here uh, struggling just a little bit because we're by a window that has a dump truck that is collecting garbage. I apologize to our listeners. We're trying to mute as much as we can, so forgive us. But, you know, when we think about law enforcement and what they do in uniform, yeah, sometimes they may be doing something that we don't think they should be doing, and we bring it to the attention of their organization, when in fact, if you look behind the curtain, it's duties that are prevailing here and doing something with heart and kindness and providing for others. And even at the risk of punishment, right, they will... They will the, the, these two gals didn't... Uh... 
they didn't want to fight the discipline. I, I can't remember what it ultimately was. It came up uh, as a recommendation for uh, some kind of a censure, and uh, they said, "No, we don't want to fight it." In fact, one of them just they'd say, "I'll take my I'll take my lumps." The other one said, I, "I'll take my lumps, but I would like to kind of tell the whole story." I wish they had done that from the start. Uh, and and we did communicate back to the complainant. And by the way, the person who made the complaint, I, I don't harbor any animus towards them because they saw something that didn't seem right. It's uh, it's a busy area where you know there's crime and and violations of law that have to be addressed. And these two uh, uniformed deputy sheriffs are, appear to be shopping because they were. Uh, but they're, they was on their break, uh, and, and they did so, I think, with an abundance of goodwill and uh, serving a member of the community that they wanted no credit for. But they reached in their own assets and purchased a television set for this woman. And uh, I think that was an extraordinary act of, of kindness that I have no problem with whatsoever. So needless to say, no discipline resulted. Well, as we say, you know, going above and beyond, that's, that's a great story on but um, I'm just going to close it real quick here as far as my thoughts, because uh, we're, we're about up here. Um, but, you know, one of the things I want to bring to the audience before we let go here is for the current law enforcement experts and officers out there, as you said, John, is that you're seeing a lot more isolation because of the under the microscope um, type of behavior with society. And I just want to give you guys and gals just, you know, definitely tell your story, get out there, tell your story. That way, you know, the, the positivity, the respect, the alignment of goals and beliefs, people will understand that more. But if you isolate, especially after a critical incident, then, you know, unfortunately it's perception and that's what people will run with in this day and age. John, thank you so much for being so generous with your time, your thoughts, your words and audience, please take good care of yourself. And one question for all of you going into 2024, what makes you feel alive? What is aliveness for you? We love you. Take care. We'll talk to you next week. Bye for now. Thanks for Strategies for Turbulent Times. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Strategies for Turbulent Times. We hope Dr. Kat and Captain Matt were able to help you create a plan or simply steer clear of the unknown with ways to overcome challenges in your own life. Until next time, be brilliant and stay fearless.